dying stars and anti-utopianists. Make a cozy bunker in the subterranean remains of your crumbling city. Curse yourself for having ignored the warnings of the scientists. And you know, that menacing purple cloud of cyogen doesn't look that deadly. Everybody just take a deep breath because it's time to talk tall to me. (coughs) I think this world will likely end in bears. Just bears everywhere. Welcome back, I am Omen Sade. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are Feckless Moe. And this is Talk Tall to Me. An end-of-days survival narrative in the burning wasteland of Prog Rock, in which No More Rations Nick and Omega Man Omen search far and wide over the shattered earth, looking for each and every track that ever-evolving rock band Jethro Tull ever released. Will we be among the lucky few to climb aboard Martin Barr's guitar and blast off to live amongst the stars? Will David Pegg's powerful bass riffs ward off the wormhole of destruction that threatens all life as we know it? What will happen to humankind once special guest Eddie Jobson returns to the mysterious planet from whence he came? (laughs) Find out as Ian Apocalypse Anderson leads us through the bizarre twists and turns of the end of the world. Hello, Omen. Hi, Nick. Are you fond of post-apocalyptic media? I think it can be fun. If done, if done right. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't mind it. I like science fiction in general. Is there anything that comes to mind that you, you like in particular? On top of the list of post-apocalyptic? Post-apocalyptic doesn't have to mean like nuclear holocaust it could be anything like dystopian end of days kind of thing well i think that i think that firefly the wonderful sure. uh, one series season of firefly was you know it started the the backstory of it is that the earth is no longer sustainable yeah nice i like um, it that's that's a that's a, a favorite of mine okay uh what about you do you ever see the quiet place no is that the one that the that jim from the office made yes mm. very scary is it really very good good? it's very very good it's one of the best horror movies that's been made in the last couple of years yeah i'm not a big fan of horror i know i know because it frightens me because i mean it does its job it does what it says on the tin yeah it does exactly what it says on the tin and i and i don't prefer that i don't want that if i wanted beans i'd buy a can of beans if i wanted to be afraid i'd watch a horror movie but i don't but i don't and i won't you will buy a can of beans though i'm sure oh i have done i plenty of beans what is the song to which we are listening and then talking tall about today this week we are finally wrapping up a we are on the final track off the album proper it is and further on however we do have a little correspondence that we're going to dive into so uh mary marley if you guys could uh, do a little delivery here please mary and marley Thank you so much, Mary. Thanks, uh, Marley. I, Mary, I'm, I can't um, can't help but notice you're tracking in an awful lot of mud everywhere. You you seem mm-hmm. to be covered in it. I'm working on me complexion. Oh, oh. that's nice. Nice. Yeah. yeah. A lady's got to stay out of the sun. <laughs> yeah, she is. She is fair. She is fair. Yeah, she, that's yeah. true. You know, what? I'm I'm glad that you're taking care of your of your health. You know, 
you know, you have those moles, you don't want those to become an issue. It's better to just, it's better just to take care of yourself. I brought something for you too. Get, get away from me. Stop. Mary, please, Stop please. That. After, after Afterwards. the podcast. Oh my goodness. Oh man. Uh, Omen, what do you, what do you have for us today? Well, besides all these worms on my floor, I yep. have a comment on Instagram. An Insta comment. They are stylists. They're very overtly concerned with the uh, image. Paparazzi. Looking for space, right? In reference to batteries not included, when I would listen to A with my cassette player in the car, this was one of the songs I wouldn't skip past. (laughs) High praise for A. (laughs) At the time, Stormwatch and A were the only two tall cassettes I owned. I bought more later. When the church youth group I was attending at the time told us to bring music to burn, I considered bringing this one, but chose an Amy Grant tape someone gave to me instead. Winky emoji. (laughs) Now, for the generational gaps that exist within us, Nick, in our day, burning music meant loaning someone a CD so that they could copy the content onto their computer. I think what looking for space is referring to is the practice of destroying rock and roll cassettes. Yeah. For yeah. Jesus? For because because Jesus? Which is funny because I think Amy Grant is Christian rock, if I remember correctly, which is is very funny. I think my mom used to listen to Amy. My mom is not religious at all, but I think she listened to Christ, to Amy Grant. I think she had like a flavoring of of Christian, maybe not like she started in contemporary Christian music and became a cross a successful crossover pop music 80s 90s. There it is. Queen of Christian pop. There it is. Okay. There it is. So thank you so much, Looking for Space. I really wanted to include that this week because I think that is a delightful anecdote. Thank you for not burning the Jethro Tull cassette. Well done. That's right. That's right. Next, following up after that, we have an email. Your emails, sir. This is from prior writer inner Greggy K. Greggy K writes in and says, Hi, Momes. Once again, I've taken to the keyboard to fly a few random toll bits your way based on my ongoing listening of your wonderful podcast. Oh, nice. I've not quite finished listening to the War Child album shows, but I have a few notes. If you covered these in later episodes, please forgive me. <laughs> Number one, you mentioned Dee Palmer's orchestral albums. A classic case, The Music of Jethro Tull, is a fairly good, if somewhat schmaltzy, collection of songs and does feature Ian playing flute and, I think, guitar on several tracks. I don't listen to it very often, with the exception of the final track, War Child. Fellows, I really recommend you check out that track. It's a beautiful, nuanced piece of orchestration overlaid with sound samples. I always envisioned it as the closing credits for the film as the titles rolled, would love to hear your thoughts on that one day. After nearly 40 years, it's still one of my favorites. How cool. Yeah, we will definitely have to check that out. Gonna have to listen to that one, yeah. Another one here. I'm sure you realized it, but the cast of characters on the back cover of the album all represent each tune on War Child. 
many of the folks were friends, family, or work associates from Chrysalis Records. Terry Ellis is the leopard-skin-clad guy holding an umbrella, and the ring mistress is none other than Shona Leroy, the future Mrs. Anderson. Oh. And I, I responded and said how, like, ridiculously embarrassed I was that I didn't make that connection, and he gave me the full breakdown of this. So the breakdown so on the cool. back... The breakdown is the eponymous war child is an unknown young girl. Jeffrey Hammond Hammond is kneeling in front of the queen for queen and country. The ladies of comfort with their eyes on the back roads are ladies. Dee Palmer as the front door angel. And he presumes the nun on the far right is one of the back door angels who raise their candles high. Question mark. Ian as the narrator, Terry Ellis in the leopard print as Bungle in the Jungle, three sporting blokes shouting hurrah, the third hurrah, John Evan holding up two cleanly licked fingers, two fingers, (laughs) Barrymore Barlow isolated in his cube and playing a game of solitaire, Mm -hmm. Shona Anderson nay Leroy as the long-legged ring mistress, sea lion, and Martin Barr, in some versions of the photo, you can see that he's standing on skates on a broken mirror, skating, skating away. away. Yeah, how and, interesting! Right, how fun. And he wraps up with the 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 solving of the biggest mystery that I've I've ever had with Tull. Years ago, I subscribed to a Jethro Tull newsletter out of England called A New Day. I think we've we've seen it in the past. I don't think it exists anymore. I once posted a letter asking about Harry Gaswick. You know, the end of that song where it just sounds like a single person saying, Harry Gaswick? Yes. We we couldn't figure out what it was. This is what I heard the young lady saying at the end of Ladies. And that's what I always thought, too. I was met with jeering scorn by our European cousins who thought what an idiot this stupid American is. I was informed that this is a traditional French waitress asking, do you want sugar? It doesn't sound like it to me, but several people wrote in with glee to correct me. All the best, Greg. I don't know how it's do you want sugar. I guess it could be voulez du sucre. That's the informal, so formal would be voulez. Maybe. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's crazy, but that's that's amazing. I absolutely appreciate the enlightenment there. Oh, we also this is the last thing before we dive in. Sorry, guys. One of our subscribers on YouTube actually helped get to the bottom of Unicorn Battle. Oh, okay. We couldn't figure out what the heck Unicorn Battle is, right? So Tom Emlin talks about he initially said where is this unicorn battle from i've never heard of it or seen it on an album and i said that's the big mystery that we have and he did some searching and he found it on the 40th anniversary of stormwatch but it's called rock instrumental oh i don't know why mine is unicorn battle but that's a much better title yeah it is it's pretty epic I think there are some other examples of songs w- whose names have changed or shifted over the years. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that's the case. Can't think of them off the top of my head. Yeah, well, different variations on things, but but there we have it. So many mysteries solved. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Looking for Space, everybody. Thank you for writing in and being a part of this collective, because as we know, 
Omen and I are not experts <laughs> at this And point. thank you, Nick, for bringing that up. Thank you for continuing to not be an expert with me. Yeah. <laughs> you can always count on me for that. <laughs> okay. So, Nick. Yes. Without further ado, shall we have a listen to the very final track off of the album A, known as And Further On? Yes, we shall. And Further On, its working title was The Border Song. Oh, interesting. It was recorded between June 1st and June 2nd at Maison Rouge. Take 5 was our master here. Mm -hmm. And from Ian, a dying earth song, a look into the hopefully distant future of an inevitably dying planet, but also hints at life after death. Nice cheerful one to end on. Let's have a listen. Nick, there we have and further on. Shazam. Woof. That's quite the doozy to wrap up on. Yeah. It stands out a little bit to the other tracks on the album, does it not? It does. It feels a little more classically tall, although it's very synth heavy. Yes. It does feel classically tall, but let's not forget that even Songs from the Wood had a lot of synth, had a lot of keyboard, you know. Yeah. This feels like it could have been on Stormwatch and I wouldn't blink an eye. Yes, absolutely. And and actually it would have been very thematic on Stormwatch. Exactly, yeah. But I I, th- I think that I think that idea carried over a little bit into this album and Jay Mancillo has posited that really the folk trio should be a quartet including this album based on the context. Interesting. The progression of the earth being blown up or 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 the environment taking back the earth taking back what it what has been taken from it, you know? It's 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 interesting and I like it. And it really this this song really puts a button on that idea, I think. Yes, it does. And the way that the synth is being used is a little bit different than the rest of the album. This is yes. more of a if the other songs in the album are okay, how far can we push the synth? What are the newest sounds that no one's ever heard of? Yeah. This is a little bit more, uh, a a more traditional, if you will, use of the synth where it's really taking the role of a string group. Mm -hmm. It, this song to me feels the most orchestrated of anything that we've heard since Dee Palmer's involvement. Yeah, I think, I think it's, like you said, the, the rest of the album is how can we push Jethro Tull to use the synth, whereas this is how can we fit the synth into Jethro Tull. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that's well said. A little note from Ian on the album in general, and this mentions uh, and further on, and kind of confirms what you said. But from the silent singing book, Ian says, apart from the folky instrumental Pine Martin's jig, the rest made for a dark Cold War doom and gloom song collection, lyrically speaking. Terrorism, nuclear war, and a couple of new age tech songs fiddled the pages of my <laughs> lyric notebooks. 
But alongside these tracks were a few less threatening siblings and even the cozy comfort blanket and further on, which could have been at home on the previous albums. Mm, Okay. So very interesting to me that he describes this song as a a cozy cozy comfort comfort blanket. blanket? I mean, I mean, musically, because it's very reminiscent of, of what we're up until this point accustomed to with Tull, I get, I see that. But in terms of context... Not not that terribly cozy. I agree that it's that the sound is very cozy. It is yes. there is this aspect of it where because it's so there's such a contrast of softness and depth to it. You know, the way that even those piano chords, dum dum, yeah. just ring out and create this huge space that you feel like you're kind of tumbling into. And then the the synth sweeps up and and you have that and it sort of is very comforting and like wrapping you in this yeah this it's a warm soft gloom and doom But it, yeah, it's like it's a cozy comfort blanket in the sense that when you are freezing to death in the water, eventually you stop feeling anything and you just kind of get warm and you float away. It's a cozy comfort blanket when you are lying in bed with a high fever and you've just taken a bunch of Theraflu and you yeah. have that kind of feeling of just like, oh, nothing really matters at all. I'm so cozy. <laughs> you, you, float, you float away. You drift off. And Maybe never to return. The Pegasus that picks you up and you you ride away has the voice of James Earl Jones. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. You've been sick before. Yes. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk music here. Yeah. So we are. We'll get into synth. There's a lot to talk about synth wise, but mm-hmm. the those cymbal waves in the beginning. My goodness, that like. Like he pulls back on the cymbals. I think we talked about it in, we talked about that, that technique in Secret Language of Birds on one of the songs. Mm, yes, yes. Using the, using kind of the brush yeah. uh, on the cymbal rather than a, rather than a stick. Maybe. Yeah. And it's, it's so, it's so darn effective. And if I didn't know what it was, there would always be a part of me that's like that. That feels like it's a symbol, but it's it's not because they're not hitting it. How is it making right. that noise? You know? How are they making those noises? It's magic. Burn them all. <laughs> I think that this is that musically, this is a a much more straightforward song in some ways, and it's it's a lot. It, it has a lot less of the sort of hickory dickory, the the tomfoolery, the yeah, the higgledy piggledy sound experiments. Like it's. Are you talking like prog timing or? Yes. And the things that we see with the rest of the album, the, the kind of experimentation with the electronics oh, that the we have synth, in the rest the, of the, rest yes, of the, the album. Synth. Kind of what we've already said. Okay. But I do think that the synth is being used more like the, there's the piano setting and then there's the more strings setting. We Yeah, we have a couple of layers from Eddie on this and there, boy, does he stand out in this. He knocks the hell out of this. I think that that. It's the most forward aspect of the music is is the the synth and keys on yeah. the song. Soft fiery angels kiss the dawn. 
I do want to pull out the bass, though, for a second, because there's some lovely stuff going on that I think David Pegg really deserves credit for, which is early on in the song, in the first couple of measures, we hear that. Yeah. He does his, is that bent? That's bending? Is it bending it? I think it's a combination of bending it and sliding. So if you pluck the note well with your finger on the string and then slide up, you can change the tone. Okay. Especially if it's a fretless bass, which it may have been, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, every single one of them, not that there was any slouch of musicianship leading up until this point, but it seems like everybody is just primo. It's, It's almost as if they... This is this was the last song recorded, and it may have been. I don't have the timetable, but but they they're really gelled here, and everybody is so darn strong. Mark Craney's drums are super solid, uh, even beyond that that symbol. Yep. Yes, yes, they come nicely through. Yeah, Martin, of course, haunting and and epic as uh, as those guitar stings just rip through the atmosphere. <laughs> Much like the sun cutting through the the glooming clouds of death. Yeah. Yeah. Or or lightning. Lightning cracking. Yeah. We kind of revisit an, an effect from Stormwatch here with Ian's pre-echo on his voice. We saw the heavens break and all the Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. I um I actually didn't notice that until you just pointed it out, but but that's very true and it almost and that does give you the effect in the song like he's speaking from another time almost. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so it's so epically eerie. It's so there's oh, there's yeah. there's the the music itself is very lovely, but it's also super crazy dark and it fits so well with the feel of the lyrics. But there there's this he as the narrator feels kind of removed from yes. things. He's like the watcher in Marvel or the Spectre in DC, you know, he's 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 there to observe things. Although the Spectre is a little more a little more hands-on, but there's an omniscience there that that makes it even more effective that he's not saying, "Oh, our time is is done, we're going away." It's it's this has already happened and I watched it happen. It's almost um it reminds me, ooh, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about this. It, it reminds me of a role that Ian is very comfortable with, which is the the kind of the role of the bard and Sure, yeah. And and thinking about those, you know, the old legends of Ragnarok and obviously, you know, sure. they are being told as if they've already happened, but they're going to happen in the future. Yeah. But they're described in such detail that it is as if they have been seen, but they haven't happened yet. It's that kind of like time being it, it sort of implies that time is cyclical. Yeah. Or spherical. This one person has their foot in so many timelines that it's it's. It's past, present, and future for them at the same time, regardless of when you are hearing it, because you are mere mortal. Time is probably a little bit oblong, actually, now that I think about it. Well, if you stand on it for long enough, it's going to squish. 
<laughs> get off every pump, now and then. Pump some air back into it. <laughs> my air, my time is only at thirty five psi's. Oh my gosh, your 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 mileage is is so it's terrible. It's just gone. Yeah. Oh, there's one other thing I want to mention musically. Yes, which is, I think, such a cool reference to the album. It it really ties it into the album as a whole, which is at the very end you have those last couple of notes. And at the very end, you have the piano going dum dum dum, and then it has that note repeated. My initial thought was, oh, it's someone going diddly 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 and continuing to play. But I actually think it's a very specific kind of echo effect oh, okay. that's been put on it. So it's like for the last song, they're kind of going back to this more traditional tall sound. But right at the end, there's that there's that reference to it being in a time of technology. It's so yeah. cool. It's such a little cool tidbit. Yeah, I think, and I know Doc Savage will be thrilled to hear this, but I really want to praise the heck out of out of Eddie Jobson on this. His orchestration, his keyboard, his multiple keyboards, and yeah. and his his the the way he plays and and chooses the effects and and all of that, like. Boy, he this album would have been very different if Deep Palmer had been doing the orchestration and it wouldn't have been as groundbreaking. It still would have been banging. Don't get me wrong. It would have been very different. Yeah, I think Eddie really took Tull in an interesting direction. And I give Ian credit for branching out and pulling Eddie in. And I give Eddie credit for kind of. I don't want to say forcing this on Ian, but really like showing him the the capabilities here. Yeah, know? exposing him to a whole new palette of sounds, exposing us to a whole new palette of sounds, yeah. a whole new approach to music. He really is a very special guest. Yeah, special guest, purple jumpsuit, Eddie Jobson. Jetty Obson. Jetty Obson. Shall we chat a little bit about the lyrics? Yeah. So Ian said a dying earth song. Mm-hmm. And it seems like our narrator is is speaking in past, is experiencing it, but feels removed at the same time. Still seems to be be alive, you know, be, to to narrate this, he he obviously has to be alive despite what the the context of his story tells us. We don't have a lot of specifics per se. We don't get a lot of insight into what caused this ending. Right. It could be surmised, but it's it's just it kind of it's a gener- it's a blanket apocalypse. It's a cozy blanket apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think it's worth kind of pulling back for a second and thinking about this type of narrative, this type of story in the in human history and in the human consciousness. Okay. Of course, in mythology and in religion, tales of the apocalypse go back, you know, as far as storytelling goes back. For sure. We've already spoken about Ragnarok in the Christian tradition, of course, you know, there's the there's uh, Revelations, isn't it, that talks about the end of the world and, yep. and the pious get into Club Heaven and the unpious go to the DMV waiting room of hell. And that's, you know, and there was a lot of art depicting that idea one way or another. You know, yeah. of course, in the medieval ages, we had 
tons of paintings, some really lovely paintings and horrifying paintings on the subject. But the the idea of an end of the world scenario outside of the religious realm, I think really came into existence in the early 1800s. Actually, Mary Shelley mm. was one of the first to write a story about the effects of a global pandemic. Wow. She had a book called The Last Man, published in 1826, which was about the one person surviving after everyone else had died. Holy cow, that's cool. Yeah. Edgar Allan Poe also dabbled in it with the uh, the conversation of Arios and Charmion. It's Charmeleon. Charmeleon? Oh, oh yes. I thought that was a Pokemon. He's, uh, he's the third? No, Ch- Charizard. Ch- Charmander, Charmeleon, Charizard. There we go. And that has to do with a with a comet strike, mm. a comet hitting the Earth, which is something that you know now is is almost laughably done in in science fiction. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I see I see clickbait news stories all the time. An asteroid the size of Texas just missed the Earth, and scientists didn't even see it coming. Right. By just missed, it was like a yeah. hundred million miles away. Yeah. Which is pretty close, but still. In the grand scheme of of space, sure. Yeah. It's close. H.G. Wells has sure. some apocalyptic stories. Well, yeah, and even the, and, and in the time machine, you see... Oh, yeah. He goes so far into the future that he sees the decline of humanity, the bifurcation of humanity, and eventually the death of of the sun. So as, as more and more scientific concepts were, were being bandied about in the public sphere, more and more people... Took the train to Apocalypse Town, if you will. And so then, of course, with the First World War and then even more significantly the Second World War and the rise of varying technologies, including significantly the nuclear bomb, there was a whole new wave of anxiety around possible ends of the of the world. And authors and science fiction creators took a lot of those elements and incorporated it. And I think that what we have here is really a, a very poetic version of that 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 pulls from some of those various traditions as well as some of the things that were happening in the world around Ian at that time. Yeah. I think it ties in. I think you could kind of classify this this writing as as even speculative fiction, you know, Mary Shelley and uh, and H.G. Wells and things like what would happen if this happens? And of course, like the best way to write horror is not to create a monster that comes from from some other realm it's to to play on realistic fears and realistic exactly. concerns that humans could have and and feasibly experience that's why you know i i mentioned that i don't particularly like horror there are some types of horror movies that i that i can enjoy like and that don't really scare me things like vampires ghosts twilight is that, not horror omen i just want you to be oh clear <laughs> never <on that>. mind <laughs> No, but topics like that don't really scare me because they're so removed from from my daily experience of reality. Sure. And and vampires are great because of the fashion. But but zombie films terrify me. Oh, okay. Because I think that for me, I don't know if anyone else experiences this, but for me it seems maybe not the zombie part of it, but the the kind of society falling apart and the replications thereof. Is that a word? Repercussions. The repercussions thereof really are a little like, I'm like, oh, I can imagine that happening right now. Yeah. 
there's a show on Netflix called Sweet Tooth that is post-apocalyptic. It's based on a comic by Jeff Lemire. It's very, very good. Ray and I really enjoyed the comics. We're only two episodes into the the show, but it's very, very well done. It's post-apocalyptic. It deals with a plague. This was created before the pandemic, but they hit so many things that are like Interesting. commonplace for us now. So it's extra scary. And the little kid who plays Gus looks like Rook in like maybe three years. Spot oh, on. Sweet. Like it's crazy. But also very good show. Highly recommend it. Very good. Well, just to transition into talking about the actual lyrics, another yeah. important element of a lot of these apocalyptic stories is the possibility of life after. Right. The, those who do survive. Even if you go back to, you know, the story of Revelations, it's total destruction of the earth, except that some people find new life. If you go back to Ragnarok, it ends with, you know, everything is destroyed, but then the charred trunk of Yagrasil, the tree cracks open and there's two naked people in there who are like, oh my God, let's do things. Right. So that's an important element of, the, of a lot of these stories. You know, the earth, the sun goes supernova and some people are able to get on a rocket and go off and start a new colony. I just want to put one thing in there. It's the book of Revelation, singular. I just, I just want everybody, don't write in. Is there not more than one revelation? Omen's going to read his Bible tonight. It's the book of Revelation. It's the book of raviolis. Revelations. The book of ravioli. Fill it with mushrooms. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And the angels came down and said, do not put olive oil in your boiling water. Maybe a little salt at most. I will slap that can of sauce right out of your hand. When they float, they are done. So it is said. So let's talk about the specific lyrics of this song and further on. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I the, the imagery that I get with we saw the heavens break mm. and saw fiery angels kiss the dawn. Mm. We saw That immediately makes me think nuke. It yes, I it does the same for me right? actually. And and fiery angels kiss the dawn had always struck me as kind of impressive and poetic, but I had never really thought about it. But the more I visualize it and think, what does that look like? Yeah, it looks like a missile strike or a big bomb going off. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but also there's an aspect of. The angry waves grow high, cut icy teeth on northern shores. The angry waves grow high, cut icy teeth on northern shores. That smacks of of the Isle of Skye. Or going back to Stormwatch with the song about that was based on that short story about about a uh, an icy apocalypse of the world. Oh, the 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 this not the secret enemy. Yeah, the hidden, the hidden enemy, the, the forgotten enemy, the forgotten enemy, the forgotten hidden thing. But what's the song called? Something's on the move. Yes. So that kind of gives me a taste of something's on the move, where it's like, and that was a common, uh, as as one of our listeners wrote in and reminded us, that was a common idea in the late seventies that actually the Earth was going to cool down. Exactly, global and cooling. That was going to be the. 
the climate change that we experience. That's yeah, that's that's the other option of apocalypse that I was thinking about. But it, it could also be like, you know, what when a when a massive nuke goes off and wipes out the earth, it's going to really mess with the weather. And know? it's going to create waves that lap on the on the shores. Exactly. Exactly. So it's I mean, regardless of whether it's man-made or or some natural apocalypse, ultimately what we're dealing with is is these people trying maybe trying to survive. You know, these are the remaining people here. But then with the second verse, it almost, to me, pulls back to a more historical perspective. And troubled dynasties like legions lost have blown away. Hounds hard upon their heels call to their quarry, wait and play. Oh, ho. It reminds me of the the depiction, which is not exactly accurate, of the Visigoths tearing down Rome. Ah. Or, you know, all those all those uh, dynasties in China where it was like, well, for 400 years, everything was exactly the same. Yeah. And then this other city-state group came in and tore everything apart. Because, and, yeah, because they had closed walls and they didn't excel with technology and... For, yeah, for whatever reason, that that there is a there is an impermanence to every aspect of civilization, however much we convince ourselves that anything is permanent. Yeah, yeah. There's it's either it's either you don't evolve and something overtakes you, or you evolve so much that you destroy yourself. And that's another common theme in a lot of these stories: is humankind surpassing which is also what we're experiencing in real life surpassing the the level of resource consumption that is sustainable and creating yeah. you know poisoning the the world to the point where it's no longer livable and we have a little reference to that with and rocks on mossy banks strip acid rain from craggy steeps and rocks on mossy banks strip acid rain from craggy steeps yeah we're, and we're not even getting into like AI becoming sentient. That's we don't even need to dip into that in terms of of post apocalypse. But there's there's the level of either you you destroy the world enough that you can't live on it, or technology advances so far that destruction is imminent. And I forget I was, I was reading a book or something, but like maybe it was a comic. It might have been a comic that that there's a there's a certain way of thinking that that society can only go so far before it wipes itself out and starts again. Well, and it's the starts again that I think is important to this song. And, you know, yeah, the thing that I find so intoxicating about this song is this question, will you still be there further on? Wish you goodbye till further on. Will you still be there further on? Yeah. That's not like me saying to you, like, hey, I'll see you later. That's that's mankind speaking to the earth, I think. I think that it simultaneously is operates on a bunch of different levels. I think yeah. I think that is absolutely one of them. You know, will say goodbye to life till further on? Will life still be there further on? Will the planet still be there further on? But also yeah. 
you know, almost on the personal level, you know, if, if there are often in these apocalyptic or post-apocalyptic movies, you have this, these two individuals or, you know, two of perhaps the last individuals on the earth parting way, parting ways for some reason. And there's that thing of like, oh, are you the last person I'm ever going to see? Are you going to be there when I get back? Yeah. And I think there's also the personal level for Ian. I mean, this was a very, this was a time of a lot of upheaval in his life in terms of the big break with the, with the lineup of the band from Stormwatch. Yeah. And, and even, you know, when he wrote this song, this was a solo album. So I, I think that there, maybe I'm reading into it. Maybe this wasn't intended, but I think that it's reasonable to see an aspect of it, which is, will this life that I've created for myself still be there further on? I'm saying goodbye to this Jethro Tull experiment that I've done for so long. Will it still be there later on? Yeah. And Terry Ellis was like, yes, it will, because this is actually going to be released as a Jethro Tull album. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah, even, but I mean, even after the fact of knowing that it's a Tull album, even coming to terms with that, it's still such a, a grand derivation that, that there's no going back to 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 classic tull to the tull that everybody has known thus far and for us it's easy because we're like oh there's like 12 more albums after this but he didn't know that at the time nobody knew that yeah yeah who he he did not know the longevity i mean sure they were going to milk the cash cow as long as possible but but who knew milk that cash cow now with more milk <laughs> omen Nick McGill. Anything else about and further on? Just some other lovely images. Brave fires that flicker cough and mm. give way to winds through broken doors. I mean, yeah. We talked a little bit about in the story, The Forgotten Enemy, where the the protagonist is is hiding out in the subterranean... What he's hiding out in the tube stations, isn't he? Is that the only bit of London that stays warm enough because it's underground? I don't remember that part. I may have made it <laughs> you up. Might but have made it in up. general, it's a theme. You know, you see in you see in um, the Walking Dead where people are hiding in these sort of fragments of houses, fragments of buildings, yeah. with their little life processes of fire and cooking and and the, you know the little light that's dying in the lantern. That's a common image in a lot of stories where. You have one candle left. Yeah. What happens when it goes out? Yeah. Or 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 nowadays like batteries or or charge on something. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. We've got one fragment of dilithium crystal. Can we make it across the expanse? I'll eat it. We'll keep it safe. <laughs> I made out with a cheese alien. <laughs> From the planet Fondue. <laughs> you countermanded the Rhine Delective. should be the rind directive yeah you're right you went against the rind directive i don't know if i'm going to edit that out you you tried to save it but i don't know if i'm going to give you that maybe it's maybe i'll give it to you for a birthday present <sighs> anything else to say about and further on nothing from me wish you goodbye Will we still be here further on? 
do have a question for you, though. Okay. This is it for A. What are your final thoughts on A? Have you learned anything? Did you have a new appreciation? Is there something different that bugs you about this album or or fascinates you? Or I think I've learned a little bit about myself, Nick. I knew that was coming. I I do think that I have definitely gained a greater appreciation for this album in general. Okay. And I think that understanding the context of the album better really reveals has revealed to me the beauty of it. The beauty of the writing, the kind of the boldness of it. I think it's really more vulnerable in some ways than a lot of the other albums that we've had before. Yeah. Yeah, he was really stepping out of his comfort zone here. It's a very it's very risky. But he had Eddie Jobson's hand to hold the whole time. Eddie Jobson cut through the darkness with his cheekbones. With his violin bow. And he stepped on the trigger and, and cast the spotlight on himself. And Ian <sighs> Ian realized that it didn't have to be about him all the time. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe. I don't know. Enlightening, to say the least. Ian, I can't seem to open this can of beans. Where's the can opener? Oh, we didn't bring it on the store because we have Eddie Jobson's face. <laughs> Just twist his nose. The plane's gone down. All we have is this inflatable lifeboat. Eddie, Eddie, no, don't lay down face down. No! Oh! <laughs> okay, Omen. Next yeah. week, we begin the broadsword and the beast. I will ask you a, a the inverse of the question that you asked me. How are you feeling about moving toward Broadsword? I'm excited for Broadsword. It goes back into our kind of classic folky tull. It's got a it's got a bit of a, a renaissancey feel. So it, like it really clicked with me when when we were at the fair. So like there's a, a special place for it. It's a it's a good album. I listened to the vinyl the other day. I'm, I'm excited for it. I think that this is going to be the album that we speak about that has the most people writing in to tell us about their tattoos. Oh, the 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 the, the Ian Imp. Yes, exactly. In various places, please. Yeah. Picks or it didn't happen. Next week is the first track off of side A. Obviously, it is Beastie. Until then, you can give us five fiery angel kisses in the form of a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice. We never know when the apocalypse is coming, and so we want to be well-stocked with $5 donations, which will also give you the survival materials known as access to our Discord chat and special monthly episodes. And you can stay warm by buying all sorts of Talk Tall to Me merch— and you can keep yourself insulated from the icy teeth of the northern shores. That's right. Until next week, I am the hounds on your heels, Omen Said. I am the rock upon a mossy bank, Nick McGill. We are the broken heavens, feckless momes. And this is the brave fire that flickers and coughs. Talk tall to me.
Oh, well, Ian, I can't believe that, that we're the only survivors of the that recent toad apocalypse that we that's wiped out the entire population. How, Eddie, how extraordinary. Eddie, I, I'm, I'm beginning to lose the feeling in my digits. I, I believe we need to, to get some firewood. May I use your, your nose as a hatchet? Oh, please, yes. Oh, Ian, uh, Martin here, uh, how are we going to start a fire? All I have is this piece of steel, but I have no flint against which to strike it. Oh, uh, Eddie's cheekbones are, are steely. Oh, very good, so they are. Ooh. Oh, oh I'm, I'm feeling better already. Feeling better already. Now, I think the next thing we should discuss is, is how we're going to break into the vault here, which is buried in the side of the mountain, to get out these survival supplies. It's ten feet thick of solid concrete, reinforced with steel, and uh, and even a high-powered laser or nuclear bomb is, in, is useless against it. Mark and Dave, would you grab both grab his legs? Martin and I will grab the arms, and we'll just, just plow Eddie's face, that sharp-cutting face, right into the door. Oh, yes. Let's give it a try. Here we are. Oh... Oh, made a dent in it. Oh, it looks... I smell... Oh, I smell fresh air in there. I think if we could... If we could only widen the gap, if there was only something enormous that we could wedge into there. Eddie, what about using your ego? Oh, happy to oblige. Yes, why not, lads? Get that spotlight and go. We're saved! We're saved! There's condensed milk for everyone! Hooray! We'll lap it up like kittens! Oh, you... Martin, you know, you know what this reminds me of? Oh, what's that here? When I, was, when I was growing up, the only comfort I felt from my cold, cold mommy and daddy was when, when they would forget that there was a little sweetened tea at the bottom of their glasses and I would quickly sip it and then I would get smacked across the face and my parents oh, yes. would look sternly at me and they would say, Don't you know... They talk told me as a proud member of the Feckless Momes Audio Network. Too bad all the therapists are dead. We could all use it. Mm. Eddie, I, I need a hug. Oh! oh. 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 He's, he's bleeding oh. out! Oh! oh. 